0: Utterly Moderate is the official podcast of the Connors Forum. Visit us at connorsforum.org and be sure to subscribe to our free email newsletter while you are there.
1: Please listen carefully. 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 Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Utterly Moderate podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Seppard. Only a few days to go now till the midterms. Uh, I can't wait till they're over. If you're like me, it'll be a great day when it's all said and done, because that means no more political ads, uh, no more political campaigning. Uh, For me, it just gets all really exhausting. So I can't wait until Election Day comes and goes. But um, today's show is all about those midterms. Uh, We're going to talk about all the polls out there telling us who is likely to win the House of Representatives, who's likely to win the Senate, and what are the issues that voters are really concerned about as they head to the polls this year. That's the topic for today's episode. We've got a great friend of the show joining us to, uh, to discuss all that, political scientist Lance Bailey from Shippensburg University. Great guy, great friend of the show, and uh, should give us a lot of really good insight uh, into these topics. Lance is actually here at SHIP with me. He's on the fourth floor of Grove Hall. Political science is on one side of the floor, and uh, sociology is on the other side. Um, This is a really cool place. Give a quick uh, plug to Shippensburg University. Wonderful place to send your kids to learn. Uh, We've got great faculty here, great students, beautiful campus. It's small enough where you're getting a lot of one on one attention with your advisor. Um, just a really, really great place and uh, filled with great people like Lance Bailey. So should be a good conversation about the midterms coming up next. I'll keep rolling along. Deep in my heart is a song. Tumble and tumble, we Shippensburg University political science extraordinaire, Doctor Lance Bailey. Welcome back to the program, sir.
0: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here, especially this time of year.
1: All right, Lance. Well, as we sit here taping on November 1st, obviously you and I can't say for sure how this is all going to play out, but I think we can generally assume a week before these elections that the polls are reasonably close to where they're going to be. And as of right now, it looks like the Senate is a toss up. So what do you have to say about control of the Senate?
0: Yeah, well, that is the race to watch. It it seems clear that the House of Representatives is going to go Republican unless we see some massive um, uh, shift, uh, which is unlikely. But the Senate is the close race. I think the only responsible thing to say is that it is a toss-up, and it really boils down to four states. So we have to think about the races going from the west to the east, starting with Nevada to Arizona out uh, to Pennsylvania and down to Georgia. And those four races really uh, will likely be the ones to decide which way the Senate goes.
1: Right. So over at 538.com, they have the Senate as a toss-up, a 51% chance that the Republicans take control from the Democrats and a 49% chance that the Democrats retain control of the Senate. In the four races that you mentioned, Lance, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania and Arizona, In Georgia, the Republican Walker is slightly favored over the Democrat Warnock, 54% chance of Walker pulling that race out. In Nevada, the Republican Laxalt is slightly favored over the Democrat Cortez Masto, 54% chance of winning that race. In Pennsylvania, the Democrat Fetterman, 57% chance of winning over the Republican Oz. And in Arizona, Kelly, the Democrat 67% Sixty-seven percent chance of winning over Masters, the Republican.
0: Yeah, very close, really across the board. The surprising one uh, for most has been the Fetterman-Oz race, uh, which has really tightened up significantly since uh, right about the middle of September to right now, where we have some polls have Oz up by a point, but essentially a, a toss-up at this at this point. The the big um, this it was tightening up before this, but of course, they had a debate last week of which not very many people watched, but lots of people read the results of and both had major issues. Um, um, Fetterman, in terms of his um, issues around a stroke and his um, ability to speak and listen and, and, and communicate properly. Oz, of course, with his famous line that abortion should be between a woman her doctor. And the elected officials, there where they live. <laughs> uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that sort of plays out. The other really, truly tight one uh, is the Georgia race um, with uh, the incumbent, but really not quite incumbent. He's only been there two years, of course. And uh, uh, former football player Herschel Walker, who has been, um, I don't know, the the, the the most gaffes I think I've ever seen an elected official at this particular point but really super tight. And that's going to have a lot. Both of these are going to have a lot to do with turnout. Turnout is the key on those two races. In Pennsylvania, Democrats have almost a million more registered voters than Republicans. So it's really about Democratic turnout at the end of the day. It's not about gerrymandering because they represent the entire state, of course. And the same thing in Georgia, where we see once again, large African-American turnout, and especially African-American women turnout to uh, give Warnock a, a win. Um, or will the Republicans be able to, in what has been largely a red state in Georgia, be able to get that seat back? That seat really on paper should probably be a Republican seat, but it's not. The other two races, uh, I think are not quite as, they're close, but I think we're seeing Cortez Masto really look in a difficult situation. So that would be a democratic loss, of course, because she's the incumbent, um, and Adam Laxalt, um, would be uh, of course the new incumbent i think that is looking pretty strong in that state but still pretty close uh the governor's race and that's in that state might be indicative that as well super tight race and that's an incumbent running there too Nevada is a tough state because the legislature is all Demo- is Democrat. It's it's a semi democratic state, but Republicans have made some inroads in Latino voters, and we might be seeing that play out in, in Nevada. And then uh, Kelly race in Arizona, of course, is the other one. But I think if Kelly loses, then that's a bad day for Democrats at that particular point, and a big day, a big day win for Republicans. So I think Kelly would. We're going to know the results a little earlier on the East Coast, but yeah, if Kelly goes down, my guess is the Republicans are going to have a big victory day
1: we're talking to political scientist Lance Bailey from Shippensburg University going over these midterm predictions so at 538.com they give the republicans a 51% chance of taking control of the senate democrats 49% chance of retaining control so basically a toss up the house of representatives they give the republicans an 83% chance of taking the house democrats a 17% chance of keeping control So the Republicans are heavily favored to take the House and the Senate is a toss up. Now, Lance, you mentioned the governor's race in Arizona, where Republican candidate Carrie Lake is running against the Democrats candidate Katie Hobbs. So why don't you tell us more about that?
0: Well, we have an open seat um, election there, which is uh, usually a little unusual, but that usually brings out a lot of candidates, which we see there. Uh, we have one candidate who is a uh, former television host and a big uh, self-described MAGA, uh, Trump-style Republican um, against a uh, more moderate Democrat. And it's been a really just a very, very tight race uh, there um, and in a state that has really gone in different ways. It voted for Biden in the presidency, but has a very Republican legislature. That race and um, the Pennsylvania race In terms of the issue of abortion are really the two states that voters need to pay attention to, regardless of which side you're on. And that's because Arizona has a Republican legislature. Pennsylvania is a Republican legislature. If they were to get Republican governors, either of them, it's likely to see the ushering in of of strict abortion, uh, uh, strict abortion restrictions. And so if you like that, you should want to want the Republican to win. If you don't like that, you'd want the Democrat to win.
1: Yeah. Lake is one of those candidates that really bothers me. She has made numerous statements about the 2020 election being stolen and being illegitimate, none of which has been substantiated, but she keeps making these claims and she just keeps sowing distrust in our democracy. And uh, I just feel like this kind of rhetoric is really poisoning our country.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I didn't even think about bringing that part up. That's true. We're seeing this across the country, is that there are double digit numbers of what we would call, you know, the big lie or election deniers that people sort of um, uh, believe, of course, the unsubstantiated and untrue uh, issues around election scandals in the last election. And we're seeing them win in a lot of places. Uh, And Carrie Lake is a case in point. Uh, She may not win. There's other ones in which they clearly are going to win. But that's a really big part of her um, uh, of her campaign. I, I'm not sure if that's because Arizona was so tight. It was such a close race and it went to Biden. And so it's a really big deal for her base. I find it strange as a political scientist to think that in your attempt in at if that's your if that's your strategy in the primary, it makes sense because your base is big into not believing in that election. <laughs> but when you go to the general election, you expect to expand out and need to draw in moderates, and I can't believe that this uh, issue would draw in moderates, but obviously it's uh, it's helped her in this uh, this particular campaign. I mean, the uh, the counterpoint to it is um, the case in Pennsylvania, which is not a very close race, of course. The the at least right now, Shapiro's up at least by eight points over Mastriano. Has been solidly up on Mastriano the whole time. Mastriano, of course, is also a self-described MAGA election denier, uh, Christian nationalist type person, and. Uh, and he has not been able to get any traction, at least with that particular issue. He, he runs a different campaign. He's a different candidate than Lake. So it's not an easy way to compare it. But um, and, and Pennsylvania, is not Arizona. So um, but in his case, he's actually driven away Republicans with it. I don't know if you remember the primary when he was running for the primary in the last couple of weeks, all the other Republican candidates dropped out to support the more uh, what we might call conventional Republican um, and uh, in, in the form of Lou Barletta, and so uh, this his campaigns a, is sort of a different beast.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mastan was just on TV the other day making a completely ludicrous and unsubstantiated claim that there were already shenanigans in the Pennsylvania election, you know, and sort of sowing doubt. And um, it's just ludicrous when you look at how far behind he is in the polls. But what worries me is, you know, prior to 2020. You could have a few bad apples here and there saying stuff like that, and I don't think it would have the impact, whereas now you've got millions of Americans who have been just consistently conditioned to believe that you cannot trust our democracy, that our democracy doesn't work, that elections are stolen, that our institutions are not to be trusted. And again, you think about Shapiro and Masturano, right? Like Masturano was way down in the polls. And, you know, it's very likely he will lose. And yet when you have many people like him all around the country who are going to cast doubt on the election after it happens, they're going to file lawsuits. I mean, when you already have millions of Americans primed to believe this nonsense, it just seems like um, it's setting the stage for chaos.
0: Yeah. uh, You sort of worry that are we going to, it's interesting, under the Trump one, the only one that was... Consider contentious was the Trump election, right? It wasn't that any of the other ballots were tampered with. Only Trump's ballots were tampered with, which is, you know, kind of ironic, not ironic, but kind of silly in some ways. Um, and so the question is, will it play out within this? And anytime you start priming the voters that there's election fraud going on when there is none uh, worries you, especially in the case of someone like Mastriano, who's very likely to lose in that election. Um, I do think it will... Um, You know, this is just me guessing they're not playing this issue in the races themselves. That is, the Democrats are focused on it to some degree. They're focused on the Dobbs decision and abortion, but also the January 6th and election integrity issues. But on the Republican side, you really see uh, crime, inflation, immigration being this sort of uh, troika of success. Um, That's where Oz, I think, found his success there. I think that's where Johnson in Wisconsin, who was really down by a lot, I mean, and he says some really, um, I hate to say outlandish, but extreme positions. He says things that really gets people watching. Um, but those have sort of, they've clawed their way back into the race, if not into the lead because of those issues. Um, but we would see, I think after the election, the question is, does it just simply stoke more fires about uh, this um fake idea this this n- unsupported idea of problems of election integrity and i think that might be the case That you know the part of it is how really when it gets down to it what we do in the united states at this point is we focus on national issues but it's really at the state level in which this stuff matters in some ways right now this is true on abortion right supreme court didn't make abortion illegal is simply got away from it as a right, so it's really heavily about state legislature and whether or not Congress would ever pass a national law to either ban or 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 guarantee it. Uh, and issues around elections, and so state legislatures really, really matter. But we don't really we don't have a good way to pay attention to state legislatures. Local news. It's not as robust as it used to be. Most people don't understand their state legislatures. And for the Democrats, this is a big problem, or it's a big advantage to Republicans, in that 30 of the state legislatures are fully Republican. And 23 states have a fully Republican legislature and a Republican governor. And those numbers don't match up with the voter registrations across the country. There are more registered Democrats than Republicans. But the state legislatures are dominated by Republicans, um, and almost half of the governorships are Republican. And so we're playing out national issues, but at the state level, which is much harder to control, much harder to sort of manage and think about, which is is part of that strategy. We've seen this around issues around Christian nationalism. The strategy that we use by sort of Christian nationalism has uh, is really through uh, state legislatures. Uh, uh, and they're following the playbook or, or, the, or the other people that are similar playbook are groups like ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Commission, that generate these bills and work and groom state legislators and, and train them and stuff like that. Um, so it's one of those weird things where we focus on national issues, but how those national issues play out are in state legislatures.
1: All right. So, you mentioned the issues. Let's let's talk about what's motivating voters. I've I've pulled up uh, some Gallup polls here. The most recent data they have is from September. They asked the question, what do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? 38% of Americans say economic problems. 66% say non-economic problems. Uh, the top three economic problems that they name are high cost of living and inflation, the economy in general, and fuel and oil prices. Uh, On the non-economic problem side, it's the government and poor leadership, immigration, and race relations and racism. And by far, the biggest economic and non-economic problems are high inflation, the economy in general, and the government. So tell us about, from your perspective, uh, the issues that are animating voters, the ones that are important, and how that might advantage one side over the other.
0: Yeah, when it all comes down to it, uh, all those, when you put them together, really all center around inflation. They're all economic issues, but at the end of the day, high gas prices are inflation. And people are very much worried about this. And of course, we have this idea that the government can be the be-all, end-all to the solution. That is, um, the Democrats don't have a great solution, and the Republicans don't have a great solution to this issue. However, at least historically, economic issues have tended to favor Republicans, uh, not completely. And that doesn't always line up with the facts of the case, but that is the position in which they've been in, that fiscal conservatism um, ha- is sort of the solution to this. That is, they have the, the sort of a, the, um, the ground on this. This is the classic, of course, um, it's the economy stupid saying from the Bill Clinton campaign with James Carville. Uh, and I think that's correct. I think um, even when uh, the Democrats have success on things like uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is was really... A huge bill that um, checked off a lot of boxes for big Democratic constituencies. The ability to sort of turn that into electoral success has been a little bit more limited. So I, I do believe the economic issue is big. There was some sense that the Dobbs decision and abortion would really be the issue that carried the day um, for the Democrats because of that. Uh, what happened in Kansas um, and these. Um, what we saw were really big surges in women registering to vote, new voters with a high percentage of women voting after the Dobbs decision. Uh, And if you read and listen to interviews and stuff with political consultants, they would say they've never seen anything like that. And, um, but at the same time, it seems like Kansas might be an outlier in terms of that big of a turnout. And I think that was because there was a specific, you know, um, initiative, or I guess it was a referendum in this case that, um, uh poke that you know that pose that specific question as opposed to a candidate and that so that candidates are more blurry issues are issues and so i think in some ways the reason why we saw the big surge in kansas was because there was an issue on the ballot at that time so the question is will those voter registration numbers be good for the democrats or not will it be a wash and and the economy of big be, be a big win for the republicans I think if the pollsters get stuff wrong, it's going to be around those kinds of things. Uh, Two things. One is trying to calculate voter turnout. And secondly, whether or not these new registrants with this increased registration had any uh, large impact on it.
1: Yeah. In that same Gallup poll that I mentioned earlier, 48% of respondents said the Republican Party can do a better job of handling the country's most important problems. Only 37% said the Democratic Party can do a better job. Amy Walter over at the Cook Report recently wrote this about voters' priorities heading into the midterms. With less than two weeks until Election Day, it looks as if the fundamentals, an unpopular president, deep frustration with the status quo, and stubborn inflation are ultimately going to define this midterm. Not only are voters expressing frustration and pessimism with the state of the economy, but they give Biden low marks on his handling of the issue and see Republicans as better able to tackle inflation. Democrats may be mobilizing their voters with calls to protect democracy and abortion rights, but independent voters are much more focused on their cost of living concerns. There's little Democrats can do between now and election day to make sure that economic squeeze feels less significant. At the same time, we also know that our deeply polarized electorate has limited the shape and the scope of the political playing field. Getting a huge wave is harder when there are few partisan defectors and even fewer swing districts, end quote. All right, Lance, well, to summarize our conversation today, it looks like the Republicans are heavily favored to take the House, the Senate looks to be a toss-up, and the biggest issues that voters are concerned about going to the polls center around economic issues and poor government leadership. So before I let you go, Lance, uh you're a political scientist. So is this like Christmas for you? Tell us what it's like being a political scientist on election night.
0: <laughs> it's a tough time to be a political scientist right now. When someone finds out I teach political science, they think, oh, it must be so interesting. But it's a very tough time to teach students. Uh, they come in sort of pre baked and not necessarily open to thinking about things in complex ways. They're, they're interested in thinking about things in ways that they agree with. So it's tough to be. So most of my election night is done by myself. Uh, and usually, mostly on the computer, I'll throw on a couple different channels uh, sometime after nine o'clock to start looking at some of the commentary, but mostly I, I surf the web and text with my other political science friends and political consultant friends and try to get reads on things. Um, this is going to be an interesting night to watch. Midterms usually aren't this exciting. Um, and so sometimes I just, I I don't plan as much, but I think this time around, I'm going to block out the night and, uh, and just make sure I'm free from about eight o'clock on, uh, watching and listening. But yeah, I do all the, I go to all the polls and read all the, the feeds from everybody along the way. Um, and then, uh, and then start, uh, chatting on, on text and phone with my friends.
1: Lance Bailey, Shippensburg university, political scientist, extraordinaire. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and lending us your insight.
0: Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Love the show. I'm so excited about the success of the podcast and listen to it. And uh, uh, I am looking to hear your wrap up show and see what exactly how it all looks when it's done. I'm going to be meeting with some political scientist at, a, at the Northeastern political science meetings the week after the election. So uh, between your podcast and those meetings, uh, it'll be interesting to get the, uh, the read of the tea leaves. Utterly Moderate is the official podcast of the Connors Forum. Visit us at connorsforum.org and be sure to subscribe to our free email newsletter while you are there. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.